Act 2014 has recently been amended, requiring for the first time in statute that directors of companies, unable or likely to be unable to pay their debts, must have regard to the interest of creditors. Welcome back to the latest episode in our podcast series. I'm Suzanne Carney of Council in the Corporate and M&A Department in Arthur Cox. And I'm Tom Courtney, partner here at Arthur Cox. Today we'll be discussing directors' duties, what these duties are and what they mean for companies and their directors. We are also going to discuss the most recent development in this area, the new statutory duty to have regard to the interests of a company's creditors. But first, we might start by giving our listeners a brief overview on the origins of these statutory fiduciary duties. One of the more far-reaching reforms introduced by the Companies Act 2014 was the codification of the fiduciary duties of directors. It really beggars belief that up to eight years ago, there was no statutory statement of the duties owed by company directors. The codification followed on from the recommendation of the Company Law Review Group in its 2001 report that the fiduciary duties of directors to their companies should be stated in general rather than specific terms and on the basis that the statement of duties is not exhaustive. And the Act also confirms that duties are owed to the company and to the company alone. Yes, while the duties are set out in 228, Section 2271 of the Act imposes and contextualises the duties listed in Section 228. First and foremost is the statement in Section 2271 that the duties are owed to the company and to the company alone. A point to note here is that there is no equivalent in the Companies Act 2014 to the duty under Section 172 of the UK Companies Act 2006. That is, a duty on directors to promote the success of the company for the benefit of its members as a whole, and in doing so, to have regard to the factors listed in that provision. Yes, Suzanne, that's a really important distinction to make. The Act confirms the long-standing position at common law that directors stand in a fiduciary relationship to their company and accordingly owe duties to their company to act in its interests. Unlike in the UK, directors of an Irish company are not mandated to have regard to as extensive a body of interests as UK directors who while being obliged to promote the success of the company, must do so having regard to the extensive interests of others. However, within the context of the fiduciary duties to the company under Section 228 of the Irish Act, there are also obligations on directors to have regard to the interests of shareholders, employees, and in the case of insolvency or potential insolvency, now to creditors. And it has always been my view that while directors of Irish companies must act in the interests of their company, they are entitled or permitted to have regard to other matters too, such as the environment, their customers and other important matters. So we have established that the duties are primarily owed to the company, albeit with duties to have regard to the interest of other parties in certain circumstances. What are the duties and what does compliance with them entail in practice for directors? So there are now nine principal fiduciary duties owed by a director, which are set out in Section 228 of the Act. However, it should be noted that this is a non-exhaustive list of duties and also that directors may have other obligations and duties, both under the Act and under other legislation. But that's beyond the scope of today's discussion. Concentrating on the codified fiduciary duties set out in Section 228, the first is a duty to act in good faith in what the director considers to be the interests of the company. 
This duty, to my mind, defines all other duties owed by directors, which can be considered as mere elaborations of this, the very epitome of a fiduciary duty. A director has a duty to act in good faith in what they consider to be the best interests of the company, which are the interests of the shareholders, present and future. Importantly, this is a subjective and not an objective test, meaning directors on the same board can hold diametrically opposed views on what is in their company's best interests. Tom, when you say interests of the company, does that include the interests of the group that the company may belong to? Potentially, Suzanne, in some circumstances. The concept of company as a whole, in essence, means in the first place, the company as a separate legal entity, but it can, in certain circumstances, also mean the shareholders as a whole. When I say fiduciary duties being owed to the shareholders as a whole, this is not to detract from the principle that those duties are owed to the company. Rather, such a statement is indicative of a recognition of the reality that the shareholders are the ultimate owners of the separate entity which is the company. Individual shareholders, of course, cannot directly enforce fiduciary duties against directors. In the case of subsidiary companies, while directors must act in the interests of their company rather than the group, often the best interests of the company are also served by ensuring the survival of other group companies. And, of course, directors are permitted to have regard to the interests of a company's holding company. The judgment of Mr Justice Sanfi, which was delivered only last week in the High Court case of Keating and Shannon Foyne's Port Company, is very interesting, as it considered directors fiduciary duties in a semi-state company, in other words, where the state was a shareholder. Here, the board of directors had been satisfied that the plaintiff, CEO of the company, had been eligible for performance-related bonus payments over a six-year timescale and had been of the view that such bonus payments were in the best interests of the company. However, the board considered that its discretion in this regard was constrained by the expressed policy of the minister that such performance-related payments should not be paid to CEOs of commercial semi-state companies. The court considered the interplay between a separate statutory obligation, in this case under the Harbours Act, to have regard to government guidelines or policy, and the primary fiduciary duty to act in good faith in what the director considers to be the interests of the company. Yes, this is a very interesting judgment, firstly because it is rare to see directors' duties being considered by an Irish court, and secondly because the case specifically considers the duty to act in the interests of the company against the clearly expressed wishes of the state shareholder. Tom, there are some key points of note from the judgment which are relevant for the purposes of today's discussion. Yes, well, the court acknowledged that fiduciary duties are owed to the company and to the company alone, that directors do not have a fiduciary relationship to shareholders and do not owe them fiduciary duties, as we have just discussed. While the court noted that the company's obligation under Section 37.2 of the Harbours Act to have regard to government guidelines or policy, the primary fiduciary duty of the directors in exercising their discretion is to act in good faith in what the director considers to be the interests of the company, and that it cannot be the case that Section 37.2 requires the directors to ignore their statutory fiduciary duty. The court also noted that the state, having chosen a corporate structure subject to the provisions of the Companies Act, 
must accept the duties imposed on the directors and cannot expect directors to ignore their fundamental duty to act in the best interests of the company. Ultimately, the court found that in refusing to exercise their discretion to make payment to the plaintiff, the directors were cleaving to the wishes of the shareholder, notwithstanding their view that the bonus payment should be paid and that to do so was in the best interests of the company. Accordingly, the directors were found to have been in breach of their fiduciary duty to the company to act in its best interests. What is also interesting is how the breach of duty owed to the company was found to result in a breach of contract by the company, which caused the plaintiff loss and damage. Tom, having established that the duty to act in the interests of the company might be considered the principal fiduciary duty, what are the other fiduciary duties which a director owes to the company? Well, beyond that, there is the duty to exercise care, skill and diligence. A common law duty on directors to exercise care, skill and diligence in discharging their function existed as early as 1742. So what does this mean for companies today? Well, Suzanne, the standard of care appropriate to a company director is a subjective standard, albeit referable to the director's own knowledge and experience, now recognised expressly by Section 2281G of the Act. This means that directors owe a duty to the company to act in a manner that reflects both the level of knowledge and experience that a company director in general may reasonably be expected to have, but in addition to the knowledge and experience specific to the individual director in question. Thus, their conduct must reach a certain baseline standard that every director should have, as well as reflecting any specific knowledge and experience that they may possess. Therefore, a director is expected to act with the level of care and skill which is to be expected of someone with their background, but they must also act with the level of care and skill which is to be expected of a hypothetical person carrying out their functions. There is also a duty under Section 2281B which requires directors to act honestly and responsibly in relation to the conduct of the affairs of the company. And this doubles as a relief from liability under Section 233, where the director has acted honestly and reasonably in the circumstances. This is not a traditional fiduciary duty. Its provenance comes from the defence to an application under Section 819 of the Act to have a director of an insolvent company restricted. When I chaired the company law review group, we thought it odd that such a fundamental thing as to act honestly and responsibly should only feature where a company was wound up insolvent. We were also cognizant of the fact that there are so many cases interpreting the words honestly and responsibly, probably more so than any other words in the Act, and it was for this reason that it was included in the statutory statement of director's duties which the CLRG recommended to the Minister. Do these duties extend to non-executive directors? Yes, company law has not traditionally differentiated between executive and non-executive directors, meaning that the same duties are owed by both types of director. There has been some recent evidence of a slight shift in thinking, however, and although the Supreme Court has clearly indicated that it believes a differentiation may be justified, it has not yet provided direct guidance on the nature of that differentiation. And does this differ with regard to nominee directors? No, it doesn't, Suzanne. Where a third party such as a lending institution nominates a non-executive director to the board of a company, regard may be had to the interests of the appointer. However, 
this is only to the extent that those interests do not conflict with the director's obligations to act in the company's best interests, which, as I mentioned, is the golden rule. Again, we are back to the key distinction between directors being obliged to act in their company's interests whilst being permitted to have regard to other people's interests. So all duties are held to the same standard in terms of compliance with their duties under Irish company law, which makes sense in light of the fiduciary nature of the role. Tom, are there any other fiduciary duties that our listeners should be aware of? There are, Suzanne. On a more fundamental level, the company's constitution plays a significant role in governing the activities of directors, and directors in turn have a statutory duty to act in accordance with the constitution and exercise their power only for purposes allowed by law. This all comes back to the point that directors should, at all times, act in the best interests of the company. And we see that how compliance is assessed in this regard, namely through reference to the improper purpose test. This also means that they must not, in a company with an objects clause, act ultra vires or outside of the powers granted to them in their role. And while exercising the powers conferred on them, directors must only do so in accordance with law. For example, exercising the powers to issue shares could be a breach of this duty where the dominant intention was not to capitalise the company, but to give an existing shareholder majority voting rights over another existing shareholder. It's interesting that this duty has a prohibitive effect, as well as imposing a positive obligation. Precisely, Suzanne, and that's what the remainder of the fiduciary duties entail. They provide that directors must refrain from a number of activities, as well as oblige them to take positive steps to avoid potential outcomes that may affect the interests of the company. For example, directors must not agree to restrict the exercise of their independent judgment, i.e. they must not fetter their discretion, and they must not use the company's property, information or opportunities for their own benefit, unless they're expressly authorised by the company's constitution or through the passing of a special resolution at a general meeting to do that. Directors must also take active steps to avoid any conflict of interest between the director's duties owed to the company and the director's own, including personal interests. This duty imposes a positive obligation on directors to avoid any conflict between their duties and their other interests, be they financial interests, familial interests, personal passions or friendships. It has also been held in the UK that their similar statutory fiduciary duty is subject to an objective, not a subjective test, and does not depend upon whether the director is aware that what he or she is doing is a breach of their duty. A ninth fiduciary duty was recently included within Section 228, imposing a duty on a director to have regard to the interests of the company's creditors in certain circumstances. Tom, can you tell us more about this and the other recent amendments to the Act regarding directors' duty in relation to a company's creditors? There has been an evolving common law duty for directors to consider the interests of the company's creditors for some time. This duty, however, is limited to scenarios within which the company is insolvent or near to insolvency. Recently, we've seen a significant change in the law. The European Union Preventative Restructuring Regulations 2022 amended the Act to introduce a new statutory duty relating to creditors' interests, specifically under new sections 224A and 2281I of the Act. It is expressly provided that the duty is owed to the company rather than to the creditors themselves, 
effectively putting creditors in the same category as employees and members, where their interests must be considered within a duty which is actually owed to the company rather than a direct duty to those groups. What makes this duty perhaps more likely to be enforced is the fact that where a company is in insolvent liquidation, its director's authority can be displaced by a liquidator who can cause the company to bring an action against the directors. The new statutory duty extends the period within which the duty is invoked to circumstances within which the company is unlikely to be able to pay its debts prior to being declared as insolvent. Aside from the clarification that the duty is owed to the company, are there any other ways in which this new statutory duty differs from the pre-existing common law duty regarding a company's creditors? Whereas the common law duty to have regard to creditors' interests was generally accepted as only arising when a company was unable or likely to be unable to pay its debts as they fall due within the ordinary meaning of those words, it's really important to note that the statutory duty is considerably broader. The new duty in 224A1 arises where a director believes or has reasonable cause to believe that the company is or is likely to be unable to pay its debts within the meaning of section 5093 of the Act. In other words, the test for appointing an examiner to a company has been adopted by the legislature rather than the more straightforward test of inability to pay debts as they fall due. So, Tom, at what point will the company be considered unable to pay its debts? Under Section 5093, a company is unable to pay pay its debts. Firstly, if it's unable to pay its debts as they fall due, a company will also be unable to pay its debts for the purpose of Section 224, where the value of its assets is less than the amount of its liabilities, taking into account its contingent and prospective liabilities, i.e. that the company is balance sheet insolvent. Another event which is deemed by Section 5093 to mean that a company is unable to pay its debts for these purposes arises on non-payment following a 21-day letter, where one creditor is owed at least €10,000 or two or more creditors are owed at least €20,000 and a 21-day demand in writing is served at the registered office of the company. It should be noted that the duty can be triggered where a director believes or is reasonable cause to believe that the service of a 21-day letter is likely to happen. The final trigger for the new statutory duty is where execution or other process issued on a judgment, decree or order of any court in favour of a creditor of a company is returned unsatisfied, whether in whole or in part, as this event too has been equated with a company being unable to pay its debts for that purpose. Again, this trigger is not confined to where execution is returned unsatisfied, and it will be triggered where a director believes or has reasonable cause to believe that such is likely to happen. So once a director believes or has reasonable cause to believe that the company is or is likely to be unable to pay its debts, other than having regard to the interest of creditors, Section 224A imposes obligations on a director to take other steps, Tom. Yes, Suzanne, a director of a company who believes or has reasonable cause to believe that a company is or is likely to be unable to pay its debts must also have regard to the need to take steps to avoid insolvency. This duty is oddly worded, since if a company is unable to pay its debts as they fall due, in the broadest sense as discussed, then it is already insolvent. However, 
Perhaps it is only intended that this duty would be relevant in cases where a director believes that the company is likely to be unable to pay its debts as they fall due, but is not yet insolvent. The drafting is poor. The other consequence of the duty being active is that a director must also avoid deliberate or grossly negligent conduct that threatens the viability of the business of the company. One might reasonably have thought that a director will in all circumstances have a duty to avoid deliberate or grossly negligent conduct that threatens the viability of the business of the company. The recent amendments to the Companies Act include a new section 271A, which provides that the directors will have the opportunity to avail of early warning tools to assist in identifying the likelihood of a company experiencing repayment difficulties and to enable boards to look to alternative restructuring frameworks available to offset this risk. Tom, what are early warning tools? Directors will have the opportunity to avail of early warning tools uh, to assist in identifying the likelihood of a company experiencing repayment difficulties and to enable boards to look to alternative restructuring frameworks available to offset this risk. These tools may be in the form of an alert mechanism, advisory services or legal incentives, which has varied in terms of implementation across the EU. In Ireland, we have yet to receive full details of what this warning system will entail at a domestic level. The Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment suggested in their recent public consultation report that this may comprise a self-assessment model which provides for publication and access to guidance information specified with regards to companies of all sizes and structures with specific relevance to SMEs. Once available, guidance will be published on the website of the Corporate Enforcement Authority. However, management accounts have long been an early warning tool for boards of directors in their supervision and oversight of a company's operations. The failure to prepare management accounts over a sustained period has been held by the Irish High Court to be highly irresponsible and to amount to the directors of a company in effect flying blind. Where Section 271A of the Act provides that a director may have regard to early warning tools, the continued production and reliance upon management accounts will undoubtedly be one of the more, more important tools as they will ordinarily provide the directors with a good indication of the company's ability to pay its debts as they fall due and also the value of its assets and liabilities, two of the key triggers for the duty to have regard to the interests of creditors to arise. And Tom, in relation to the other triggers you mentioned earlier, the 21-day demand letter and return of unsatisfied judgments, decrees or orders, can management accounts assist here or are there other tools and processes directors should look to? Management accounts will not ordinarily disclose disputed debts, the likelihood or actual service of a 21-day letter, or the likelihood or actual return of unsatisfied judgments, decrees or orders. Accordingly, I think it will be important for senior management, and in particular the finance teams and companies, to ensure that directors are provided with the relevant information in order that they may be made aware of the likely or actual occurrence of events, which will be deemed by the new provisions to mean that the company is unable to pay its debts, and therefore to trigger their duty to have regard to the matters in 224A. Thanks, Tom. This has been a really interesting discussion on directors' duties, in particular in relation to the new statutory duties. Before we wrap up today's episode, what, in your view, is the key takeaway for company directors? Where directors have the duty to have regard to creditors' interests, this must inform their decision-making and risk appetite, and where appropriate decisions are made, 
the reasons for those decisions should be noted in the minutes of the board meeting. In summary, the board of directors should be aware of and advised of this new duty and should ensure going forward that the board is advised when any potential or actual trigger events occur. Thanks, Tom. If you have any questions on anything we discussed today, or if there's any other particular issue you would like to hear more about, please contact Tom, me, or your usual Arthur Cox contact. Tom and I will be back with another episode next month. And in the meantime, thank you for listening and goodbye. Mm-hmm.